morning and welcome to Score Values on 670 The Score. I'm Adam Staszynski. Coming up on this week's show, we highlight a Merrillac St. Vincent Family Services youth program, plus an NFL insider discusses the latest on the potential punishment for Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson stemming from sexual misconduct allegations. Merrillac St. Vincent Family Services provides youth with a safe and nurturing environment where they're able to develop long-lasting relationships in part through a program called Hope Junior. I spoke about that program and more services provided by Merrillac St. Vincent with Albert Richardson, who's the Director of Youth Services at Merrillac St. Vincent. Albert, thanks so much for the time this morning. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. So uh, let's start with this. Can you tell me a little bit about what Merrillac St. Vincent Family Services is before we we get into uh, the the, the main reason that we're talking today? Sure. Merrillac St. Vincent is a um, 108-year-old nonprofit organization um, that has been for a long time committed to fighting poverty and violence in Chicago. And what we pretty much do is we, we provide some vital programs and services in the areas of uh, early childhood youth services, um, which cover school age and um, our Hope Junior program, our seniors and community outreach programs. <clears throat> and um, oh, sorry, it's, continue. Yeah, it's 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 a program and an organization that when you just really look at it. On, on the surface, it's just about people. I mean, many times mm-hmm. we talk about having a voice um, for people and advocating for people. That's really what this organization stands for. And we just do it on so many great levels to make sure that we're supporting people and we're um, walking the walk with them so they're not alone. This program definitely provides that and has been a, a great mainstay in uh, in this community and in also in the uh, Lincoln Park area. And that brings us down to the, the reason that we're speaking today mainly is, and you mentioned this, the Hope Junior Program. So let me just start by asking what the Hope Junior Program is. Yeah, Hope Junior Program is uh, one of those programs. It's more of a community uh, uh, program. It's, it's different from the our other youth program, which is school-aged. Um, this program is pretty much vital for the community, uh, for individuals that may be new to the surroundings and really are concerned about their kids being a part of a group and part of something positive. Uh, Hope Junior provides that for them um, um, without a fee. Um, they're able to be here, and it's definitely a free program for them. Uh, and they come in, and we provide tutoring. We have mentoring, sports. Um, they're part of dance activities, arts and crafts. And what's I think the best part of it that they love is special field trips all year round. Um, sometimes there are tickets for Bulls games, Blackhawk games, just a variety of things to make sure that these kids know that um, they can see life from a different perspective um, in a safe environment and it's a nurturing environment. Uh, you mentioned that Merrillac St. Vincent has been around for over 100 years. Uh, how long has the Hope Junior program specifically been going on? Oh, my goodness. Um my my supervisor, she probably would get me if I missed the number, but it's uh, I know it's thirty plus forty plus years, okay. um, at least. Um, it started out really with just their uh, it was Project Hope, um, which is all you know for young ladies. But um, and Hope Junior used to be just all girls at one point, and eventually at one point it, it became co-ed. But uh, it's been around for thirty plus plus years. 
So, and, and I know that kind of what what brought this along or brought this specific program to, to to my attention here is, and the reason we wanted to spotlight it was, you know, with some of the, the the recent gun violence, you know, around the nation and and even in the Chicagoland area. Why is it? Imp- why is this type of program important? When when as far as I guess maybe not preventing, but mm-hmm. as as far as providing a safe place or even just a, a, another place for ch- children to go after school? Well, I, I'll say this, uh, if, um, Adam. It, the most unique thing about this place, and, and Hope Jr. specifically, is that the staff themselves are and have been over the years our former participants in the program. Um, so they understand what the program needs are. They understand what the kids are because they want we're in those uh, shoes. Um, but it's important because the kids come here and they're learning about family. Uh, Miss Deanna, who is the program manager, that's something she preaches to them. We, we are family. Uh, and many of these kids, even though they have families, they don't understand the real definition of what that means mm-hmm. to be a family. So they're embraced here. They're learning how to deal through their work through their problems. They're building positive relationship with their peers. Um, they're, they're understanding what it is to what uh, to learn a skill. Um, they're learning about themselves, the talent that they didn't realize they had, um, and that comes out. And we're able to provide those services for them so that whenever they leave the, this building or when they become adults, that they have the necessary skills to be able to make it out there in the world and understand the difference between uh, really being productive, positive production, and, and something that is negative and that's about the violence. So that's why we have these conversations with mm-hmm. them about it and make sure they understand what it looks like and, and how to be um, very visual, you know, when you're out in the community and understand the difference and how to, more importantly, how to just be able to keep yourself away from it. Um, but always knowing that uh, the program is here for them. When you say being visual when you're out in the community, what do you mean by that? It, it is something that I not only... Uh, that we preach to the kids, that we preach to the staff. When you're out in the park, we have a park that's right across the street from us. Um, there's a garden also around the corner from our main building that they, in the summertime, they go to. Mm. When I say, you know, kids typically, they're used to being outside and being kids. You're playing. You're not really worried about what's around you. You're in the moment and playing with your friends. But being visual, knowing that there's violence within your community, that at any moment, something can happen. We tell them to be visual, take a look around you, you know, look, you know, looking down the street when you come out of the building, see, look every which way, understand who's around. If there are people standing on the corners or if there's someone coming towards you, you can pretty much see when things are about to, um, to happen and materialize. So just keeping your eyes open. Um, don't walk around and be into your phone all the time. Understand your surroundings and where you are. And that way, sometimes you're you're better prepared for some of the things that that might be uh, coming. We're speaking with Albert Richardson. He's director of youth services at Marillac St. Vincent Family Services, and this is Score Values here on six seventy The Score. So, Albert, I, I'm curious, how many youth does the Hope Junior Program specifically serve? Say, you know, over the summer, or I guess, is there a limit on how many you're able to to welcome into the program? Is a better way to phrase that. And what are the what are the age range for this? What is the age range for this? Well, our age range is uh, five five years of age or six or sweet. We may take them that low, but um, mm-hmm. 
all the way up to um, 18 years of age. Um, so you, you have our regular enrollments, and then we have what we call our participant, our young participants who may be headed in, in eighth grade or headed into high school. They may not come as much but it's still an open door for them to be part of the program. Mm. And we try, um, in past, uh, Adam, it has been, the number was around 80. Um, but, you know, of course, when the pandemic hit, uh, that number got lowered. Um, we had to lower that in all our programs. But right now it's upwards. It's going back up to that number. And it may exceed that in the summer only because at that point we have um, different programs happening. We have uh, learning programs, uh, job programs for some of our youth. Mm. So you may have quite um, a few more individuals in the building at that point and have opportunities. So I, w- I would say it can get up past 80, um, slightly under 100. We try to stay under that. Um, that's not a big number mm. you want. But in the summertime, there's a lot of moving parts. So you don't have everyone in the same space all the time, but you are being able to provide um, opportunities to um, a, a vast majority of, of youth. And uh, you, you mentioned some of their courses is summer now. And so w- tell me a little bit about the summer cr- summer camp program specifically as part of Hope Junior. Okay. And, and it's similar to the, what we do, you know, during the school year. Um, only now you, you have a few more uh, field trips are added. And again, um, all the different projects, they get to go out to the, the garden that's been um, part of the community for some years now. They, they work in the garden uh, constantly. Uh, they were actually doing that today. So that's a project. Our eighth graders, there's a group of them who, uh, you know, we've created some work opportunities for them. So one of the staff members should be taking on that duty of um, um, overseeing that project with them to have different jobs each day that they'll be responsible for. Um, but again, you still have access to the dance and all the arts and crafts. They're, they're actually split up into groups in the summer. So each staff mm-hmm. member will have probably um, anywhere from six to maybe 10 students in their group. And they're all responsible for different things throughout the summer in addition to the trips. And at the end of the summer, they come together for um, I don't want to say a talent show, but it is something that each group has been working on and they come together and they kind of show that what they've been doing together as a group and working on as a team and for everybody to be able to, to explore. I imagine that this summer camp program is particularly important for, you know, say children who have parents that are both, both working and it provides a place for them to be during the day. Correct. It, you know, it's equally as important. It's, it really it doesn't. Um, the only difference in the summer is that we may get a few extras that come in. We may have a, a new family that's been in the community but just never knew. Um, I won't say didn't know about us, but wasn't too sure about what we do, and want to be a part of it for the summer. Um, during the winter months, they they maybe had their kids in school and they would pick them up directly from school. But now the school's out, they don't have that luxury, and it goes to what you just said. They're at work, so now I have to really have you somewhere. So, but it's I, I, it's still equally as important because the idea is to make sure that the kids have a safe space to go to. Mm-hmm. So we try to look at it that way and not really kind of elevate one part of the year as more than the other. Um, it's all equal in making sure that we have this space for them to um, feel safe. 
So, Albert, you mentioned the, the wide age range that you have for for the, for these programs. I'm curious the different types of programs you have for, say, the, your youngest that are, you know, five, six years old versus the activities that you have for the ones that are that are close to the end of high school. Well, for those for those pretty much our um, our high schoolers, they are we have an after school matters program, you know, just throughout the city. But there is one here and um, they're actually for the summer there for the first time in a while. They'll be coming back into the building. Hmm. Um, and that's typically usually about 30 um, of those. Uh, I'm not sure if we're going to have that that amount this summer, but it's usually about 30 high school youth that we have a part of that program. And for them. Uh, the program that we have here um, for After School Matters is the arts. So they're doing quite a bit of uh, performing arts, visual arts, dance, uh, photography, painting, food prep. We have people come in and do that with them um, in addition to what they're already doing with the performing arts. Um, so that's what they do. And, and then on alternate days that they may not meet, the gym is pretty much, uh, we have an open gym that's provided for them to just come and, ha- again, have that release. They're not working because mm-hmm. um, that's what matters as a paid uh, program. But they are able to come in and just have that release and, be again, be somewhere safe and build those positive relationships with their peers. And this is something that, and if you don't have the information quite on this, that's, that's fine because this just came into my head. But uh, I... Uh, a month or two ago, I spoke with someone from Marillac St. Vincent about the need for, for teachers in, in your various programs because you had a teacher shortage and that was you know, causing you to not be able to take in as many youth for these various programs. Are, have you been able to, to hire more teachers and, and, and do you know if Marillac St. Vincent is in a better space now with that? Uh, and thank you for bringing that up. That that has been very difficult. Um, that's been for uh, the other program that um, I'm over, which is the school age program. Okay. And we have two of those. One is located here in the East, East Garfield um, location, uh, the 212 South Francisco. And then our other program is up north in Lincoln Park at the St. Vincent building. Yeah, we, we are presently um, looking and... Um, doing interviews with candidates um, mm. for both locations. Um, literally here at the mirror, like I have uh, just a few staff and a few rooms. So we, we haven't been able to open up all our classrooms. And yes, it's very difficult to do enrollments for our program, which cuts into other issues of transitioning kids. So we, we are looking at it. Um, we do have a few individuals we, we are going to be hiring for the summer um, so that's going to be very helpful to our school age teachers as they prepare to go on trips as well and do other events. They'll have some extra hands to help. But um, finding the, the permanent teachers has been uh, a very <laughs> big challenge. And uh, But we're doing what we can, and we're just going to continue to move forward and provide the quality service that we can. And so I, I guess I'll just go ahead and ask, too, if, if anyone listening – is interested in, in becoming a part of Marillac as, as a teacher, how do they do that? They go on our website, MarillacStVincent.org. Um, it's, they'll see um, all of the different uh, positions um, that are aligned, but they'll just look. They may see summer, school-age, permanent. They'll look for that or school-age, part-time, full-time. 
And if they're interested in working with us uh, permanently, they'll go on there and it'll it'll show them everything they need. Um, and I can just say to you, we're we look for school age is a bit different than most. We mm. we can we definitely prefer to individuals to come in with their degrees and, and credentials, but more than happy to work with individuals. They come in with at least anywhere from six to twelve hours in early childhood classes or anything related to youth work at all um, would be very helpful and we can definitely get them started um, in that area and working with us. But go onto our website and apply. That will definitely ping on my phone. It'll ping on the supervisor's phone. And what we'll do is give them a cold call, just kind of talk to them a little bit to, mm-hmm. to gauge their interest. And then we'll move forward in setting up interviews with them. And is this are these types of positions positions that you need a teaching degree for, or is it is it a little more uh, is it open to uh, to anyone that's interested in in being part of it? Degrees are preferable, but uh, for school age, not um, immediately necessary. Um, like I said, they can come in with some experience if they work with youth in some capacity, or if they have um, taken some classes. Some people kind of jumped into taking some hours, thought that's what they wanted to do, and may have gotten out of it. Um, so if they have the experience and, and, and maybe have some hours, that will be helpful, um, and we'll definitely, we can definitely move forward with that. Great. So one last thing I want to touch on, Albert, and again, we're speaking with Albert Richardson. He's Director of Youth Services at Marillac St. Vincent. This is Score Values on 670 The Score. Albert, you mentioned when, when we first started that, with the Hope Junior program, a lot of the people that help out with it are actually former youth that were part of the program. So I, I, mm-hmm. I just want to ask you a little bit more about that. And, and I guess just it just kind of shows, maybe speaks to, I should say, how how well the program has done with these youth if they want to come back to help others. Absolutely. Um, it, it's important that when you're you're in this field and and you're working with youth of any age, that you show them first of all, first and foremost, respect, um, you know, respect mm-hmm. and love, and that you truly, you know, authentically care about them. They get that, and as they get older, they want to be a part of what you do. Um, it, it is, I can only imagine tell you some of the stories that we've had. Kids have been upset here. They get mad. They're never going to come back again. And some of those individuals are working here. You know, it's it's amazing that because they know they were cared for. Um, There were things that they ordinarily wouldn't have gotten to do or to places they wouldn't have been able to go to and things they wouldn't have been able to see if not for um, military advances in the Hope Junior program. So it's essential that, you know, we give that to them. And as they grow and come into adulthood and start getting into the workforce and specifically into this field, but they're going to be able to give the same to the kids who are coming now um, in the same path. So being successful means, you know, bringing others up to your level into where you are. And so that's, that's what we've always been about. And again, it goes back to being family. We're all mm-hmm. family. So we have to treat this as our house and we're going to stick together and work together and make sure that everybody is welcome and they feel welcome when they come through these doors. 
Okay, Albert, it sounds like, you know, just another program amongst all the, the wonderful programs that Mary Lake St. Vincent has. So that's all I have for you. Is there anything else that you wanted to add that I haven't touched on? You, you, you hit on everything. I, I, I guess I, I'm just inspired to, to be here and to be a part of this organization as long as I have. And not only provide the service to the family and the kids that we have, but um, it, it is really an honor for me to really to be director of the staff um, that I have working with me and the collaboration that, you know, that we do on a daily basis together to make sure that we are giving those services in uh, the most qualitative way that we can and to improve the lives of others. So I'm thankful for that. Well, thank you for being on with us today, Albert. Thank you for having me. That was Albert Richardson, Director of Youth Services at Marillac St. Vincent Family Services. This is Score Values on 670 The Score. Up next, the NFL is nearing a finalization on what punishment they will lay down for Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson, who faces many sexual misconduct allegations. Pro Football Talk's Mike Florio discussed what the potential punishment could be with Dan Bernstein, Lawrence Holmes, and Layla Rahimi here on The Score. How do you see all of this starting to shake out with the NFL's investigation uh, of Deshaun Watson? Well, I, I was struck by the fact that there was hardly any news coming out of the first day of the hearing before Judge Sue L. Robinson. She's the independent disciplinary officer who's been hired to handle these matters jointly by the league and by the union. However, after she serves the first two years of her term, which probably have expired, either side can fire her with four months' notice. So, so she's independent until one of the two sides decides to exercise its right to get rid of her. But the fact that there's been no leak after the first day, I think, is an indication, number one, that she told both sides, thou shalt not talk about this ever, and number two, they've respected it. So I think everybody's taking it seriously. It's curious that the league is maneuvering this idea that they won't appeal if there's a six- to eight-game suspension. I'm still not sure what that's all about, but the bottom line is she is going to move forward through the evidence, and she'll make a decision. And the biggest factual question as it relates to defenses to be articulated by the NFL Players Association, will she allow them to delve into the punishment or lack thereof imposed on Robert Kraft, Daniel Snyder, Jerry Jones in recent years for potential personal conduct policy violations? Because Watson's best defense to all of this could be, if you're going to punish me, it's got to be proportional to what you've done to owners because the personal conduct policy says on its face, owners are held to a higher standard. How she lets that go forward or doesn't let it go forward, that goes so far in my mind toward determining what happens with the punishment and how long this process takes. Because that's not opening one can of worms, that's three cans of worms as to what was done what was discussed, what was considered, what the punishment was, and it takes one trial, and it potentially turns it into four trials. Well, what interests me, too, is this new lawsuit that was filed against Watson that also names the Texans. We've spent a lot of time in this segment trying to figure out that creepy place down there with Jack Easterby and Cal McNair. And what I would hope is somehow we at least get to the discovery stage of this that may allow us to to peel back some of what's going on in a very, very strange place. Let's think about the basic factual allegations. And they're not even allegations because... 
Deshaun Watson has admitted to this in one of his depositions, at least one of his depositions in the pending cases against him. When he faced threats on social media from someone who was going to expose him, and he told the Texans director of security about it, instead of that person becoming very alarmed and interested in finding out what this is all about, what underlying actions may have resulted in this, how deep that rabbit hole may go, and whether or not Deshaun Watson needs to be given some stern advice to change whatever activities he's engaged in that resulted in this. Instead of all that, they just give him a non-disclosure agreement to use when he has these private massage interactions. So that's a big component of the case against the Texans, the idea that they knew or should have known that they had a sexual predator in their employment and they did nothing to protect the women on whom he was preying. And one of the things I'm trying to find out, and this just occurred to me a little bit ago, because it all happens so fast, we move on to the next development, we move on to the next development, but I've got a feeling that the person who sued the Texans on Monday has not sued Deshaun Watson yet. And it creates, from a procedural standpoint, something that will generate one hell of a headline. Because if this is what's happened, if this person has not sued Deshaun Watson yet, in about a month, the Texans will sue Deshaun Watson as a third-party defendant. And that'll be the headline on ESPN at the bottom of the screen, Texans sue Deshaun Watson. There's just something about that that has a much different feel than a parade of people who we don't know who they are. And there's this weird, which I think is a stupid sense that it's all some grand conspiracy because it's not. It's impossible to hold that many people together for anything. But Texans sued Deshaun Watson is going to be a wow when we see it. And it may be pointing in that direction. But when you say that it's that hard to hold that many people together, that's why I think immediately based on just not timing, but the timing of how this was leaked once he decided that he didn't want to be on that team anymore as to why there is definitely culpability on the Texans side in this. And then you add in the trainer situation with perhaps rooms being held in trainers names and that additional evidence giving him a massage table. Correct. Yeah. So there's there's enough potentially just based on timing and you know this better than I do the evidence that we've already seen in a lot of these reports if it holds true that could say the Texans definitely had a hand in this. And, and really just the eye test when you understand how this all played out in the way it has. Well, the, the idea that I still hear from people all the time that this entire litigation odyssey against Deshaun Watson was triggered in some way by the Texans because they were upset that he wanted out, that gets turned on its head now that the Texans have begun to get invited to the litigation party. And they're going to have potential responsibility. And, yes, they will have to, if, if the woman who sued the Texans on Monday has not already sued Deshaun Watson, procedurally they will have to sue Deshaun Watson to bring him into the case. And they will be saying, we're not responsible for the criminal misconduct of Deshaun Watson. We don't have a duty to someone that Deshaun Watson decides he's going to sexually assault or otherwise commit sexual misconduct against. So it, it, it's... It's a gigantic mess. It's already a gigantic mess. This creates an entire new avenue. And at a time when 20 of 24 cases against Watson are settled, now you've got this new universe of potential cases that will be filed. And it becomes a little more difficult to make a case against the Texans if Deshaun Watson's already settled. But if you've got people out there who have yet to sue Watson or who haven't settled yet, and they're going to start suing the Texans, 
this isn't something that's going to end anytime soon, barring a quick settlement. And even after he serves a suspension and he's back playing, he's going to have to carve out time to go testify at these trials if the claims against the Texans go forward or if the cases against him don't get resolved. I just want to throw this out there there really quickly, Mike. When you talk about how the two lawyers involved are such huge personalities and are famous in Houston when it comes to Busby and Rusty Harden, why wouldn't the Texans assume that risk, knowing that they're galvanized in that county with the power of the name that they have? That's going to have sway no matter what you do. But what, assume what risk? That they, they potentially could be named in, in this. Being well, part of it the way they were before until Watson decided to say he didn't want to be on the team anymore. But, but the damage was already done. And I don't think they had any idea. Now, now look based upon the allegations in the lawsuit filed against them on Monday, they should have known because they were warned by one of their outside massage providers, you better get control of this guy because he's going to get himself sued. And it, it, it's just got a Keystone Cops quality to it. And, and I, I get the impression from talking to people that I know in Houston that the director of security, I mean, clearly they're not thrilled with the idea that instead of figuring out what was going on, and giving Deshaun Watson some very stern advice as to what he should be doing and how he should be conducting himself. Instead, here's an NDA that you can use to protect yourself. I mean, that's ludicrous, and I have a feeling that the director of security, he may remain employed until the cases are over. That's usually what happens in situations like this. They don't want to alienate him and have him give testimony that would be shaded even more negatively toward the team. But once the dust settles on this, there's probably going to be a parting of the ways there. That was Pro Football Talk's Mike Florio speaking with Lawrence Holmes, Dan Bernstein, and Layla Rahimi on The Score. That's it for this week's edition of Score Values. If there's a topic you'd like to hear about in a future edition of our show, or if you'd like to share information about an upcoming charitable event, send us an email at scorevalues670 at gmail.com. That's scorevalues670 at gmail.com. I'm Adam Staczynski. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of Score Values on 670 The Score.